Híjole, I could have walked faster than this. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. Uh, Drew is not here, so of course we end up going with a uh, reference from a video game, although it also applies to racing. Isn't that right, Robert Zachney? I think so. Uh, I mean, what is Grim Fandango's Gladys if not a future F1 uh, technical lead? Yeah, good point. He, that that's ultimately what the game is. Is sort of his. Um, I want to see the sequel where he is in charge of. He was in charge of a racetrack at some stage during that. Wasn't there a racetrack? There in? was a dog track. Well, oh yeah, it was. It a was a. Track, it was it? a. It was a cat track actually. Look, Griffin right. Nango is a classic. It's weird. <laughs> point is, Gladys really liked hot riding cars and uh, had a gift for it. It was his calling. As F one is ours. When I tell people that I used to work at a dog track over here, they look at me like I have three heads because I didn't realize for a long time that that is very illegal in America. It, hang on, there, are there no dog tracks left anymore? I I think maybe Florida had some or something. Yeah, but but I don't think they. I mean, exist it's definitely anymore. definitely frowned upon. Definitely frowned upon, and those dogs are not very well taken care of. No. I've I've th- that's true, but let me tell you, if you want to earn slightly under minimum wage plus tips in ireland that's a good time uh welcome to everyone uh, uh if you want to give us a, a slightly under minimum wage in a tip you could join our patreon <laughs> patreon.com slash shift f1 where we put up uh loads of bonus stuff bonus content bonus videos all that good stuff um this month we haven't actually decided um what we're going to do for the patron only uh, podcast. I had a I had a thought though, Rob. Can I pitch it to you? Yeah. Um, I have been watching that Michael Fassbender Le Mans um or LMP. Is that still uh, going series. on? Because you've you've actually pitched this before. I've been intrigued. Yeah. So they just started. I think they just started this third season. They're like three or four episodes into it, and so that that is there in the problem that like now there's actually like you know probably a few hours worth of. Uh, Michael Fassbender to be watching, but it's really good. It's a, it's a really solid YouTube series. I know nothing about that division or the, those types of cars, but it's been fascinating watching a non racer basically compete at the, the the highest level of that. Um, so maybe we could do like the first season of that or something like that. It's definitely worth a watch, even if uh, you're just listening to this now and you're interested in it. Yeah, I think it's definitely sounded fascinating. Uh, and I'm you know you know I love the uh, sports car racing. Yes, you're probably more used to that than myself and Drew are. Um, we'll talk about it when once Drew gets back. Um, and also, massive thanks to all of our terrific title sponsors. Uh, we've got a couple of new names in here as well. Uh, Jason Kelly, Will Romf, Umberto Roca, Troy Stammer, Circuit Demon, Vac- Max Valtar, Reagan, Sniggs, Joel Roberts, Abraham Getchell, Jason Chadwick, Abdullah Althani, Bailey Foot, BPM, who have just settled in, I think, for the rest of the season with Bad puns and or memes. You know, it's kind of what they were for the whole. So I, I get it. I get it. Drew Stewart, Simon Vildov, David Mule, Josh Hayes, Tractor Share, Nardy Goat, Iron Station Studios, Erica Siegel, and Scott Kleinkloss. Thank you all so much for supporting our Rinky Dink podcast. Uh, today on the show, we're going to talk about the Mexican Grand Prix, which is coming up this uh, weekend. We got some news. We got some track walk action. We got some emails. So uh, let's jump into it, Mr. Zachney. What's it looking like on the news front? Yeah, so uh, to close the loop on something that came up an uh, episode or two ago, the Andretti team's uh, discussions about acquiring Sauber through uh, acquiring the companies that hold Sauber, uh, yeah. that has not come off, it sounds like. Um, and Dieter Renkin over on a piece for race fans, uh, says that sources indicated that they just kept hitting, uh, red lines in their contract talks. The main factor being that, um, the company that holds Sauber doesn't really need to move Sauber. Uh, and so even though like Longbow Finance is not like a racing company, Sauber's worth a lot of money. And Longbow has the capital to they've they've continued to finance upgrades for Sauber and like Sauber maintaining, uh, so, sorry like now Alfa Romeo, uh, continuing to finance uh their their operations and and upgrades to their to their facilities, and so like Andretti couldn't quite like come like couldn't quite see a path to a a right price. Uh, the other thing that Rankin points out is that so. 
the F1's in a weird place right now because it's got that like $200 million anti-dilution fee built in uh, that a number of the teams, particularly Mercedes, pushed for, which is this notion that anyone who wants to join the grid and become an 11th team outside the 10 that are on right now under the current agreement, they have to pay to the other teams $200 million. Right. Uh, the, okay. the idea being that you are diluting the value of those teams, therefore you need to compensate them uh, for that. It's kind of a weird. It's kind of a weird thing because uh, the F one does not operate like the NFL, uh, where like the where the cartel kind of owns the the, the entire <laughs> franchise. Right. Uh, so it's kind of a weird thing, and the expectation is that it will this this condition will probably go away. Uh, the next time they renegotiate the the deal, uh, once this current agreement lapses in 2026. So if you're contemplating joining the F1 grid, uh, and there's a chance that you might get like dinged as a new team uh, rather than just taking over the operations of an old one, and we see this is always contentious. We saw this with um, you know Force India uh, turning into uh, Aston Martin. We can. The the idea is that if you're looking to come in, you actually only have to wait a few years, and the chances are that the price tag for coming in is going to be two hundred million dollars lower. Yeah. So why would you do it? Uh, especially because, you know, if you are making plans right now, you're probably not going to be ready to field an F one team for at least three years anyway. Uh, and and so it's it's kind of a weird thing where. There's just very little upshot to join F1 right now as a new entrant uh, when you just need a little patience and you'll be able to come in uh, with without having to worry about trying to work something out where you're acquiring an existing team uh, or just eating a $200 million write-off uh, out of the gate. One of those new teams that is... <laughs> I think it's, it's probably overstating it to say uh, that this is a rumor... Porsche's vice president of motorsport, Thomas Loudenbach, said in the classic, very leading, suggestive way of, <laughs> of guys in this position, that a lot of the boxes that F1 needed to check to gain the attention of a company like Porsche have been checked. Okay. So the preconditions have largely been met to bring Porsche in as a manufacturer. Crucially, he said uh, he did not say, so we're going to do it. Uh, instead, he just sort of mused about where he saw the situation uh, being at. He said there needs to be a much higher priority on the electric part of the powertrain. Uh, that is important as an original equipment manufacturer. You want to show yourself in motorsport, but it needs to be relevant to what happens on the road. From what I know now, the FIA made huge steps towards that direction. That's going to help. Um, you did say it's not a secret that we were thinking about F1, it's not a secret that we were talking to the FIA, and it's not a secret that we are, let's say, seriously considering it, but there is no decision made yet. From what I know, a lot of things are going to the right direction concerning Formula One. How important is the electric electrification or the electric part of the powertrain? We would like to see more standard parts in the engine, the freedom of electric parts. Yes, many of the factors that I mentioned, from what we know, they might be coming true. So this I has got people all in yeah, it's it well it's interesting and i i I wonder like porsche obviously are fairly you know well (laughs) well respected in the world of uh, motor racing with the world endurance championship stuff and and you know i wonder what those prerequisites were was it a mixture of stuff was it people like honda getting out of the way was it the electricification stuff sort of aligning with whatever plans they had do you think just on the teams and on the engine stuff you know given we're looking at this, you know, next four years or something. Do you see either of those being pinch points for F1? That like the teams is one thing, right? Because we've 20 of them. But with the engine situation sort of as it lies at the moment, do you think that becomes a bit of a liability for F1? That that there's not much competitiveness in there? Or, you know, because we're, we're sort of having this weird, I guess as we always do, but we are sort of seeing this stratification of the field a little bit, depending on which power unit they've got in them. Um, or, or, you know, next year, is it all just going to be rolling the dice all over again because we don't have this sort of end of a generation engine uh, situation that we're, we're sort of enjoying at the moment? Yeah, I'm... 
I'm loath to make predictions on that front mostly because uh, I think the engine freeze is so unprecedented that I really don't know how it's going to play yeah. out. The Between the lines of uh, Loudenbach's comments, here's the funny thing. It doesn't sound like Porsche romanticizes the notion of F1 being cutting edge that much at all. Like, okay. they, like you know, the fact he's saying he's interested in, you know, they, they love the cost cap. They'd love to see the costs uh, capped even more. And so I think to an extent, if you're a company like Porsche, um, which effectively means you're, you're, you're VW, um, I don't think you buy into the romanticism that like Ferrari sometimes pitches where it's like best cars, uh, you know, very bleeding edge technology. I think what Porsche sees here is probably a really useful vector to market, uh, luxury performance cars. Yeah. And they just want, like, my suspicion is they'd be quite happy if they just had an F1 car that was basically a billboard for Porsche going around the track and it didn't cost them that much to participate. I think the thing they're, they're, they are worried about, uh, and the engine thing might, might reduce these worries a bit, is that they would come in and eat shit. Uh, that they would that they would struggle mightily and like end up spending a lot of money and looking bad, but I am not sure how the uh, engine development freeze is going to affect those calculations. And it's also like when when in the cycle is Porsche contemplating coming aboard? Right? Are they are they right, yeah. you know for this entire next generation, or are they thinking about joining? Uh, you know, around twenty twenty six when new entrants cost less. And they'll be looking at a different technical roadmap from there. Uh, so I think I think it's an interesting, uh, like it's an interesting idea. Like Porsche would be a huge name to get on the F1 grid, but like the thing that's easy to underestimate about VW is they are a volume car manufacturer. So is Mercedes, but like not to the degree VW is. Uh, VW sells a lot of cars. Porsche is basically a volume sales. Uh, you know, brand. And so I don't like, they just come to it with a different set of values and priorities than like Ferrari or, a or the AMG division. Yeah. They're uh, closer does. to Renault. If any, yeah. In, in that respect. What? Yeah. I, I suspect the, um the visuals of them, you know, when I think about Porsche and what their competitors are, competitors are, I, I kind of think about Ferrari a bit, but I really think of like stuff like Jag and Aston Martin, maybe Bentley and, and stuff. So I, I, I think maybe the visuals of, of them beating an Aston Martin kind of feels good to them as well. I wanted to ratchet back at one stage to what you were talking about with the new, um, uh, the, the $200 or 200, whatever it is, <laughs> F1 bucks <laughs> price tag of a, of a new team coming in. Do you know if that is specifically a new team coming in? Because I also wonder, does that mean that the price tag on an existing team right now being worth more than it would be in 2026? And I'm looking at something yes. like Haas. Yes. That's, you know, yes. like if they want to get out, then maybe that's the way to do it before the, the price drops for a new team. That's a really good point, and that that might be the real reason why Andretti couldn't get this deal done is because you're if you if you currently hold the paper on a operating team, you can say, well, out of the gate, I'm saving you two hundred million. So as long as I am willing to save you, you know, if I'm just going to cut you like twenty million off that, I'm still saving you money. Yeah, um, and then I'll just pocket the rest. Um, we'll throw in Gunter Steiner. Yeah, for anyone who's taking. <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, I think that's that's probably another thing that's making it harder to do a deal right now is that for the next few years the value of these assets is inflated. The funny thing is they're going to they're going to decline rapidly, right? Uh, hmm. So there's probably a window of opportunity to move these things, um, you know, on on those terms. On the other hand, an existing F1 team is still a valuable property in its own right because like all the sunk costs have been paid. And so you're basically taking over a lot of facilities. Um, the other part that I'm that always seems to be dicey is when do you cross the line to be considered a new team as far as F1 is concerned? Because <laughs> right. uh, again, this is the uh, Racing Point Force India situation where it's like clearly this is the same team, same group of people, same facilities. 
And there was real hesitation to say, that's not a new team. And I can only imagine how much more intense that would be if, for instance, Andretti were to try to buy an F1 team and then start moving more, more and more of its operations over to the U.S. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. The next couple of years are going to be wild. Like, I also wonder, like, the value of every team is going to dip and swerve next year once we start posting times i suspect as well so some of those lower ones we look at how like haas i you know I, i'm not sure how one to one you you make those uh you make those buying like also like if haas's performance this year if if it's basically moose considering what happens next year does that even factor in like is it more assets is it more brand it's so hard to tell um any other bits and bobs from you on the news front uh yeah i mean there's um you know some sad news antonia uh terzi who was an aerodynamicist for the williams team uh back in the early 2000s was killed in a car accident uh she was a uh you know obviously in that era uh you know women on the engineering side of teams were considerably uh more rare uh, especially one that would end up playing a leading role in car design. She designed a uh, very high concept, uh, like front uh, front nose uh, idea for the FW twenty six, the the walrus nose uh, Williams. It didn't pan out completely. Uh, it, mm. it ended up being kind of a beast to set up, and they ended up kind of going away from that design. Uh, after that, she ended up uh, having a career in manufacturing and uh, became an aerodynamicist over there, but was sort of a, a leading automotive uh, aerodynamicist and was uh, poised to move over into uh, academia uh, with the well, I think she she already was, but she was she was taking a faculty role with uh, I think a, a University of Canberra, and okay. was going to move to uh, Australia. Oh wow! Uh, but uh, you know there was there was this car accident, so uh, that was a uh, F one notable that we've that we've just lost. Um, I she think, rest in peace. Yeah, I think on a lighter note. Um, F1 is really trying to figure out what to do about rain. Uh, yeah, I was interested in this because obviously we often talk about the opposite and that we want more of the sprinkly stuff because um, it makes for fun races. But then Spa happened this year. <laughs> yeah, and I, to be clear, I think mostly Spa is probably not a... So in a very F1 way, they're looking at it as an engineering problem to be solved. They've they've convened a working rain. group. Like, uh, <laughs> we're going to fix rain. Um, and so, like, Umbrellas. Pat Simons is helping to lead the effort. And, um, you know, they're doing some preliminary research. There's a great quote from Ross Braun. Uh, in, terms of, in terms of rain, there's been qu- some quite interesting work starting to be done now on the spray and the visibility. Pat Simons and some of the FAA people spoke to some of the drivers in the last couple of races about their experiences at Spa and their general experiences, particularly drivers who have raced other cars. Uh, Fernando was quite interesting because he said that the ability to race in the rain is much better in a sports car than it is in an F1 car. And in some aspects, you'd think it'd be quite challenging with a windscreen and the wipers and all the rest of it. But he said the way the spray comes off the car is different. Um, <laughs> I love that. It's like rain ASMR or something. Well, right. And it's like, I love that F1 is treating this as a new technical problem, like just unprecedented. Like, we, what do we know about rain? Uh, Fernando, the only one on the grid who's raced other cars, uh, tell yeah. us what happens when tell rain. Tell us about these windshield wipers, as you call them. What are these things? It's it's very funny, um, and they're one of the things they did latch onto is that you know it's the fact that sports cars have closed bodywork that like a lot of the places the wheels are throwing the water, it doesn't feed straight into the air like there's mm. a car over the top, so it doesn't generate quite as much spray, or anywhere near as much spray. So uh, what if these cars weren't open-wheeled? Yeah, like, so what are you supposed to do just, with that? Let's just change the car, <laughs> the whole basis of the sport. It does seem a little bit like, you know, this is kind of how corporations tackle problems, is they throw a bunch of smart people and a bunch of money at it, and then I want to see, like, the conclusions Rain falls from sky. Nothing we can do about it. Like, because to me, it's like, unless you're like modifying the track, and those tracks have already been designed, especially the new ones. Spa might be a little bit funky in spots, but like, the new ones are like, 
designed to make the make it wash off as much as possible and run off but like that's not going to stop one of those relief rain you know but drops that happens up in the the Ardennes. you know no, there's nothing and, you could do about that and that's the thing like the real issue with with spa was that they didn't move the start time like that they they had forecast that said exactly you're going to have a problematic amount of rain hitting didn't they have uh, f's they had something that weekend some uh, oh uh, uh w series was on yeah, there were there were a couple support races, but as I understand it, they just don't even have. It seems like everyone would have been willing to flex to save that weekend. It's just that the rules don't even allow them to like have that conversation. I bet Spa is a particularly tricky case as well because it's not as if people are staying close to the circuit. So I bet everything has been put in motion to get people there mm, at a certain yeah. time. You know what I mean? And so they're a little bit hesitant to to fudge the the time last minute. Yeah, but you're right, right? Like the that is. The thing about rain is that oftentimes it goes away. <laughs> yeah, so like you, I mean, you it's can, yeah. If if delaying the race till the next day wasn't an option, like when they saw that it was, it was sort of going to be a certainty for race day, they should have been trying to reconfigure the weekend uh, as much as possible and and salvage it that way. So yeah, the notion that like, well, you know, the issue here is the cars. Now the issue is probably how you ran the event. Um, and I understand that like. Situations like this are really unexpected, but like ultimately, this is not something where I don't think the solution is to throw wheel wells over F1 cars to try to contain the spray. <laughs> it's to it's to change when you're racing. Oh, that does remind me. Uh, when we talk about Eau Rouge being redesigned, uh, they are making one important change. Um, I oh. don't know if this came up uh, maybe when uh, it was just you guys. You know that lodge at the top of Eau Rouge, at the top of uh, the left Radio? side. Yeah, they're tearing yeah, it down. I thought that I thought they were. They're straightening it, right? Uh, I don't think they're straightening it. They're creating like more gap for runoff. I think. Oh, you're right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. like, I think so that, that came was... up in one of the diagrams. Yeah, because yeah, you don't have room on the other side because they... you have the the cliff. But the lodge exactly. is occupying space that you could use to they can have dig runoff. into it, kind of. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Sorry. So yeah, which is which is like that is the biggest problem, right? Was that it was throwing people back into the track. Also, I imagine if you create a lot of runoff there. You're also creating more space for cars to avoid if there's something yes. on the right side. But we didn't, I don't think there's been a crash where somebody got, like the Antoine Hubert incident was because of, uh, there was two cars in the runoff. It wasn't because somebody, one of the cars went back out onto the track, right? Yeah, I mean. I think, so I don't. Yeah, I mean, so he was diverted onto the right-hand runoff. This would generate runoff on the left. I do like. I'm curious how they're going to reprofile the entire entire corner. Um, right. Because I'm with you. Like, you still have to try to make the racing line, and so if you have runoff at this blind part of the corner, it's still blind. Exactly. Yeah, and you're still going to try to make it, and so that's still going to be risky. Uh, but I think a. But one changes. Remember, a lot of times people are losing it down at Eau Rouge, right? Like you start to go, you start to get off on your entry, um, yeah. And you don't right now. You really don't have any space uh, on the left hand side, so you try to throw it over to the right and just try to save it. Uh, because the way it is right now, if you go off on the left, it's basically like race ending. You go up into a tire barrier. Uh, I think this would create a possibility where if you start to bobble it, you might be able to just go up, uh, sticking to the left. Um, and Gosh. rejoin safely. Be so, but like, I feel like the 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 grip up there is on such a wobbly one that when you crest that hill. But if nothing else, if it stops people from from getting spat back out onto the track, it does mean that like certain overtakes, like Weber's one, now will go down in like history. Yeah, because it'll, the the corner will never have that same profile again. But like, I I you know we talk a lot about how F one has dealt with safety and stuff. It is wild how quickly Radion became like a crisis point. Like we had, there were multiple, and you can sort of say like, oh, maybe it was luck of the draw that there was, I mean, there was one, there was one fatality. There was, and also in that crash, another person was seriously damaged in their, their legs as well. Yeah, severe um, injury. And I think everyone saw that W series crash and realized that that was just sheer luck. That, that was, something yeah, horrific that, hadn't happened. That yeah, Lando as well. Like yeah. that. There. So, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of that parable of the, you know, the the the, the fell on the house when the floods coming and and you know 
he's saying like god god will save me and the boat comes and the helicopter yeah. comes and and then he says you know whatever you know i said why didn't you save me god I, I sent you three things that's kind of what this one feels like it's like if if everyone is sending us signals that this is a dangerous corner and it really is then then we should do something about it but it's um well i think the interesting thing about like opening it up on the left side a little bit right now is it seems like they might be able to save the line of the corner and the overall vibe yeah. of the corner without sacrificing safety um but i am curious because of that like because of what you just described the decision making drivers have to do is like they enter a rouge and move to radion like even if you had more space on the left would anyone use it uh as an escape i don't know um maybe fernando alonso if he thinks he can retain more speed <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's everything, right? Like I think the I think the way this actually goes is uh, the corner ends up being safer and it becomes a consistent track limits uh, like pain <laughs> point where people are arguing about like, well, you know, he he went to the right of the bollard instead of the left, and so he retained advantage. Uh, yeah, but either way, um, they are starting to re-landscape uh, the corner a bit. So that was that was interesting uh, in terms of them trying to fix some of the lingering issues uh, with, with Spa. I don't think we have an explicit news story about it here, but have you seen the state of the Jeddah track recently? I heard they were like hauling ass to get it wrapped, but it's still very yeah. much under construction, right? It it looks like scary to like any sort of I don't know, probably Westerners. It looks like like oh well, this is five weeks away, and it is it's looking a bit like um, fire festival or something, you know? Like you guys want to get a move on, but apparently. They are, you know, whatever, five five weeks, four and a half weeks left. They are uh, hauling ass. Well, by the way, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but Michael Massey was surveying the uh, the the grounds of the uh, Miami track. And he came out of it being like, you know, it's going to be a really interesting track. It's not going to be a, just a race in a car park. Okay. And Danny, the aerial photos, <laughs> they're putting an F1 race in a car park. Like, it's... I am so nervous about this race because like they don't have access to use any Miami streets. They're building the entire track basically in the parking lot of the hard rock stadium. Hey man, if you've watched enough formula E, you just get used to that shit. I know, but F1 drivers, F1 isn't like, it's going to be one of the least charismatic tracks. I think, uh, like, I, I don't know. My, my, my gut says this is going to be a misfire. Um, I bet like, it's going to be a great viewing experience for fans because they're going to see a lot of cars very slow up front, up close. I bet they will prioritize fans, but I'm with you. I I, I don't know how they're going to, you know, make this one racy. It's going to be like, yeah, it has tropical Sochi vibes, man. Yeah, exactly. It's going to look like the one thing I like about it, I think, is that it, it'll look like an indie race. You know, it'll have the, the, the I'm not sure if it'll have catch fencing necessarily, but like it'll it'll have that sort of like flat profile. Um I guess we'll wait and see, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm definitely coming in on that one with low expectations and hoping to have them, have yeah. them uh, uh, beaten. Um, any more news before we head to no, Mexico? No, I didn't get to it. All right, off we go to Mexico. Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. Um, this track, uh, you know, part of the calendar. Mexico, part of the calendar for much of F1. Uh, 63 to 70, 86 to nineteen ninety two, And then this one came back with a brand new layout in 2015, would you believe? Um, it's a, an interesting track. Came back and we had Perez and Gutierrez. You know, there's a lot of uh, F1 Mexican fans, uh, which is great because this place, it's not quite Circuit of the Americas, but 400,000 Drive to Survive fans crammed into that stadium. But 300,000 person capacity here in Mexico, uh, just outside Mexico City, and uh, they absolutely love it. The converted ballpark that you drive into as well, um, a, a special feature of this track, it's where they do the you know, the, the post-race ceremonies as well. There was great uh, footage, of course, of Checo Perez going through there when the place was first opened. Um, emotional scenes last year when it could have been his last uh, uh, race there. And this year he'll be returning as a champion of sorts. You know, somebody who retained their F1 career, who were driving in a fast car, and the Red Bulls love it here. Um, this track is tricky when it comes to overtaking there's not a million and one spots you're talking the end of the start finish straight and then there's some racy fun parts like between the sector two and sort of the start of sector three there's some nice little fast paced corners but the 
uh, main thing about this track that that affects performance is that the altitude can cause a lot of trouble. And historically, uh, with the cars running so hot, the Red Bulls have done well here. Um, we know going into Kota, which is kind of a Mercedes stronghold, it was interesting to see them, uh, you know, flounder so poorly and going into the next two races which are quite high altitude you've got this and you've got interlagos there's gonna be two races interlagos because they're doing the sprints there as well um you, there's a little bit of worry that this could be this part of the season that where it gets away from them but we'll have to wait and see um the the track as i said not a million in one places to overtake and what that has sort of created over the years is a lot of Drivers throwing it down the inside of turns that perhaps they maybe shouldn't have done. Um, so, you know, I went back and watched a bunch of uh, races and highlights over the past couple of days. There's lots of videos and lots of uh, replays of of cars, you know, Danny Kvyat throwing it down the inside. Last year, famously, Hamilton and Verstappen came together on turn two, which is a slow-paced... Uh, it's basically, if you, if you get position on turn one you will have position on the exit of turn three it is it's way too tight to do any overtaking but last year uh verstappen tried it and they had a little bit of a an argy bargy and it re- really badly affected verstappen he was back at the back of the grid hamilton lost position as well um whether or not they'll do it this year we'll have to wait and see uh but we'll have to wait and see whether or not checo can get second and, and really cover off Verstappen, I shouldn't assume that he'll, he almost got pole last, last at Coda, so I shouldn't assume that, but it, let's just say if the Red Bulls got a lockout, it would definitely help them going into turn one, considering what happened last year. Um, yeah, so that's kind of it. It's, it's, it's a great track to look at. Um, it's tricky with overtaking. There's really only that straight, there's a little bit of a straight at the start or the end of sector one right after that one, but, and it has DRS as well, but it's not the same um uh it's not the same thing so you know there's a DRS detection zone going into the the stadium as well but you find people don't bother because um they're going into uh uh the star fitness straight right after and that's it that's all i have to say about circuit hermanos rodriguez it's always a uh, always an interesting it's, one yeah it's I, nice I, I just love because the fans yeah i mean it's 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 great to have a I think it's an amazing venue. I think it really does capture like the strength of uh, like Mexico's F1 fan base. Uh, it's it, there's nothing else like it. But I think it's another one of those things that the 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 price for that is the entire track. I think is a little bit compromised by this need to like build it around this one central feature. Um, and yeah. yeah, it does seem it it doesn't generate the most dynamic races. Uh, in in my experience, it's not one that I generally have circled on my calendar. And so it, it's so weird how this stuff works out. Because I would say on paper, I would say Interlago shouldn't be a good venue either, except it often is. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I just yeah, it looks great on camera. Lots of sweeping corners. Lots of lots of. Uh... I don't know, lots of relative straights into corners. I think it's that the corners, some of the corners there are, are long enough that they yeah. kind of act as straights almost, you know? Yeah. You kind of get a bit more mileage out of them, as it were. Um, the weather there this weekend, we will have basically 0% precipitation the entire week, so F1's rain team can can sleep well one more time uh temperature is going to be pretty uh hot there for the majority we have 23 degrees centigrade which is about 73 actually it's not that bad i guess and maybe it's for this time in mexico city i'm not quite sure what the baseline is um uh saturday for qualification again looking at a range between 66 and 71 fahrenheit spent 23 degrees centigrade a uh, little bit of wind like 11 kilometers Gusting up to 16 kilometers an hour uh, from the from the north. Uh, wind dying down a little bit more on Sunday and the temperatures uh, basically staying fairly settled around that mid-70s, high 60s. Um, and like I said, the altitude playing into that as well and creating difficult conditions for some of those engines. Um, although some teams have been strategically putting in new engines, so perhaps that's going to help some of those drivers. Seems like a lot of them have at this stage. Um, we should have a look at the driver standings while we're here. All this, I have definitely got a large appreciation for the amount of uh, prep work that Mr. Drew Scanlon does every single week. Let me tell you. Usually, I'm just doing emails, but uh, so there's a lot to do here. But let's let's check in 
on the drivers and team standings. In first position, Max Verstappen with 287 points. F1's most points. popular driver, according to did, fan polls. Did he win? Did he win yeah, that he fan poll? Handily. Yeah. Oh, cool. Also, was- Ferrari, no longer the most popular team. Oh, is this Red Bull then? I think it might be McLaren now. Um, but, oh, that makes sense. But they got basically, the, the point likeable. is the whole like Ferrari is Formula One now with the current generation of fans. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I, feel, you, I kind of feel like when that's you're a bad for a decade. Yeah, your dad's team now. Yep. Uh, Lewis Hamilton in second, 275.5. So that is down to 12 points right now, the gap. Shouldn't say down to, it's up to 12 points, which is a decent amount when you've got most drivers, the two of them getting first and second. Um, that's a race right there. Race and change. Uh, Bottas is third at 185. Perez in fourth with 150. Norris uh, nipping at his heels. Fifth position with 149. Just one in the difference there. Charles Leclerc in sixth with 128. Carlos Sainz Jr. in seventh with 122.5. Daniel Ricciardo in eighth with 105. He's catching up too. Uh, Pierre Gasly. 74 points in ninth. Alonso in 10th with 58. Ocon in 11th with 46. Vettel in 12th with 36. Stroll in 13th with 26. Uh, Yuki Tsunoda in 14th with 20 points. George Russell, 15th with 16 points. Nicholas Latifi in 16th with 7. Kimi Raikkonen in 17th with 6. Just like a... This is like a freestyling here or something. It's all this mirroring. Giovinazzi in 18th with one, and Schumacher, Kubica, and Mazepin with those goose eggs. That's right, Kubica uh, was, is on there. Yeah, because Kubica watched Ever Dies, man. You'd be watching him for the rest of our careers. Uh, in the constructors' standings, things um, still very tight all over the shop here. Uh, Mercedes in first with 460.5. Red Bull. In second with 437.5, so 23 points there. Again, all you need is one car to go out and a, and a decent start, and that, that shrinks pretty quickly. Uh, the next battle here, though, is super fascinating. McLaren Mercedes in third with 254 points. Ferrari in fourth with 250.5. Ooh, oh, three and a half points in the difference. That half point. Oh, man, I know. It's, yeah, it's totally going to Well, Yeah, I will in their case, right? It won't for the... The other two. Uh, Alpine in fourth with 104. Alphatari Honda, not outside of the realm of possibility. They could get that. They're in sixth with 94. So 10 point difference there. Trickier for those lower teams to get points, but, you know, Alpine's not impossible. A lot of issues. Like, Coda was alarming. And, like, it didn't yes. make the news, but the drivers yes. are alarmed. Uh, so Alphatari, I think you have to remember, like, love him, but. Yuki has thrown away so many points for that team. Yeah. And like if they just get a few consistent finishes and Alpine continue to have their issues, I think that 10 point lead is a mirage. <laughs> uh in seventh, Aston Martin with 62. In eighth, Williams uh with 23. Alfa Romero in ninth with seven points. And Gene Haas and team with zero in tenth. Looking forward to next year. And the possibilities are endless. If you would like to be part of our fantasy league, there is a uh, code in the show notes. You can jump on in there, set up your team. Double points for Checo this weekend. That's I just made that up, but you know you'll have feel good points if he does well, especially if he's on your team. Uh, but we're gonna go into emails now. Shift F1 Podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. Thank you so much to everyone who's sending us pictures from their fun old times at Circuit of the Americas. Um, lots of people were tweeting at us at Shift F1, sending in emails. I want to do a quick shout out to our good friend Trevor, who sent in a picture of a urinal where somebody had slapped a rich energy production um uh what a sticker on the urinal um it was a there was f1 there was fans image. are never gonna let that get, like i know it's beautiful that man. company Me- got under their collective skin <laughs> it's amazing it's amazing it's just i think it goes to show and perhaps people who are new and welcome by the way all of our new listeners every year we get new folks thank you drive to survive for <laughs> pointing them our direction um I think for a long time, though, man, like F1 culture was dry. Just there was nothing. Yeah. So when Rich Energy came around, it was like the, meme, the memes well, are flowing now. And like Fernando Alonso villain. on a deck chair. 
Like What's there was that? and a collective villain. Everyone could hate this yes, guy. Yes, because right. it was an yeah. outsider who basically like bought his way into prominence in the sport and then immediately started like skipping payments and like throwing like throwing mud at a team that like everyone felt kind of bad for. Uh, so yeah, I think there, there was that too of like, like it a was snake oil salesman. Yeah, like the whole thing felt like a con. <laughs> I don't, I'm just, as it's, we'll find out when that book comes out, but it kind of sounds like maybe it was a con. Yeah, um, and also kind of looked like snake oil as well if you were to pour it out or taste it. It was disgusting. Uh, this first question comes in from Matt from Nashville. I'll take it. My question stems from how the racers finish the race. I would think that it would be in sequential order but it appears that that is not the case for instance the american grand prix verstappen and then hamilton finished the race with one and two but then schumacher who was right behind them but is in 16th place finished the race as well he has a whole lap behind so why did he finish the race at the same time is it just based on track position once the leader crosses the line now schumacher gets third that's the <laughs> that's <laughs> that's that's, that's, that's the f1 trick. blue shell Exactly. You just yeah, you lose just gotta... enough time that you gain it back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess the, the the way to explain this is to think of the checkered flag as the end of the race. So once somebody crosses the the checkered flag line, basically the start finish or the star I should say star finish because they're not always the same thing. But the finish line is then the finish line, regardless of what lap you're on. Um, the reason for this is there's lots of reasons. The main one being a safety thing where you basically have drivers who have finished the race who might be underfueled, who are going to slow down. If you look closely, you might notice once the driver crosses the line, often there are yellow flags being waved in sector one. That's because those drivers have reduced to lower than a racing speed. So you can't have other cars racing the front markers especially a whole pack of them who might have just finished the race. It would cause a fucking disaster. Imagine like up into turn one, there are seven cars finished who are swimming around and somebody's coming through who's in 14th place who's trying to get around them. Like it would just be a disaster. So what they do is if you were, if you were within one lap of the cars ahead, you will finish in the position that you were in. And if you are further back than that, they often just, they'll, you'll keep the position, but they'll just say plus one lap, plus two lap, plus three lap, just to delineate the fact that you didn't finish the 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 racing distance, that you were that far off. Uh, did I get any of that? Yeah, it makes wrong, all perfect little? sense. Yeah, that's kind of mostly right, probably. Um, Rob, do you want to take this one from yeah. Alex? Alex writes, Rob was saying in the latest episode that Max and Red Bull might have the juice to take it over Hamilton and Mercedes this year. Do we think, if that's the case, that Hamilton wins another title? Does he end out his career at Merck, or is there another team change so there so that he can hit that hopeful eighth championship? Um, anything could happen. Like I like this. There's so much forecasting. I think in this question, my 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 instinct says no. Um, like I think we, he's the tail end of an incredible run. And he may still be an incredible driver, uh, but I think one big difference is, it, say Mercedes is great next year, he might be next to another great driver um, who might even yeah. have it over him. So if Mercedes is great, he might find himself in another shootout with a capable teammate uh, who is probably undeniably the future of that team. Uh, so I, I think like it will be harder for him if Mercedes bounces back, uh, but not impossible. Like Hamilton is great. And uh, you know, he's got a lot of stamina, uh, but that still presupposes that, ha- that Mercedes is going to nail the transition to this new era, which is the biggest if um, mind you, it could happen because there's nothing we don't like. It's complete black box. Anyone mm. could show up with a great car. Uh, my suspicion is someone is going to get it more right than anyone else. And there's going to be a period of like a year or two where uh, they're going to be the team to beat. That could be Mercedes. It could be Red Bull. It could be. It could be McLaren or Ferrari for that matter. Uh, if they've played their cards well, so I think it's hard for Hamilton uh, if he doesn't cash in another one at the very tail end of this run with Merck. Uh not impossible, but I think his best his best path path forward is Merck stays good and he can notch another championship with them. I don't think a team change to uh another contender is going to be a viable path for him because that requires he finishes his contract with Mercedes and then is able to find a winning drive on the market. 
Yeah, and I feel like in other years I would have been more concerned about his, like, will he, won't he retire? Will he, won't he do whatever? Like, this year he seems to be loving it. Like, he's really enjoying the battle with Verstappen. I think you're right that, like, sort of regardless of how good the car is, he will have a fight against Russell next year that he that he didn't have for most of his time against Valtteri. Uh, so... Yeah, I, I, it's so. It, you're right. It, it's like it's like trying to peer through the looking glass a little bit next year because the, there's so many things, and I think people who are new to the sport are a little bit confused about how we can sort of read the tea leaves a little bit, you know, on stuff now, but we can't next year. And a big part of that is just these generational shifts that happen in F1. Like things are kind of established. We sort of understand a lot of how these cars work and how these drivers work and all that stuff at the end of a generation, but. This is such a change as well that, yeah, I, it's the reason I'm so, like, I can't wait for next year already. It's, it's gonna be, like, can you imagine, like, when we do that first podcast in whatever it is, end of January, start of February, when we start looking at preseason and then we do the testing ones, it's just gonna be like, <sighs> you know, every year we're excited, but next year it's just gonna be ridiculous. Uh, this next one comes in from Kirsten. Uh, I was wondering if you'd talk a little more about Haas. Anytime, Kristen. I love talking about us. I understand that they're throwing away the 2021 season and focusing on 2022, but how is the car so bad after being decent previous years? At what point does a throwaway season become too detrimental for funds, team morale, etc.? What happens to the team if they are this bad again next year? I'm curious how it works and if other teams have been through this sort of season and recovered or not. Maybe Williams is comparable. Also, Paris had a chance to win in Mexico. Would Red Bull uh, call team orders for Verstappen or let Checo win at home? Thank you for uh, your time. A great podcast. Kirsten. Thank you, Kirsten. Let's do the last question first. Checo's winning Mexican Grand Prix. Verstappen's behind him. Hamilton's third. What, what does Christian do? I think he lets Checo take the win. Like, I think... It it comes down to a couple things. Uh, one, I think you think like if I've got one and two, and Hamilton's in third, I think I've got him. I think I I, I think I'm trusting that we can put this thing away without doing team team orders. Um, the other thing is fundamentally, like this the uh, the uh, the Red Bull racing program is a marketing play. Uh, for that company, like what the the DNA there is, create big moments, create great moments. You know what would create the most mm. toxic, like poisonous, like vibe <laughs> around this championship would be <laughs> stripping Checo of his win in front of his home crowd to give it to Max. Like you would at once turn Max into the villain, uh, which he probably wouldn't even deserve to be. Uh, it would be a call from the pit, pit wall. Um, so yeah, I think I think they would be smart enough to remember that like when this was done not at a driver's home Grand Prix, um, it just tainted it like it it tainted the entire team. Uh, I don't think they would do it. I think it would be so bad for the sport and so bad for the team's image uh, that they would they would wisely trust uh, that they can keep Hamilton behind uh, for the last three races. Yeah, I just went to check to see when the infamous Rubens Barrichello uh move over for Michael Schumacher one happened which is perhaps the most hated of all um team orders uh, also because of the sort of uh, era that it happened in it was uh it was spa um but if that, if that had happened at Interlagos could you imagine yeah i'm i'm with you i think i i think Verstappen needs to win this championship i don't necessarily think he wants that either um, I think he can. The ball's in his court, seems like, especially with the races, the way they're kind of settling up. Um, yeah, and and I think if you took that away from Checo, first of all, he he wouldn't do it. <laughs> like if they asked, he wouldn't. Yeah, do that's it the anyway, other so. thing is like this is literally once in a lifetime. Like yeah, how like how much do you think he wants to stay in F one with Red Bull versus win? the Mexican yes GP. exactly and he's a dead man walking like he, he shouldn't be in a car this year you know what i mean like he 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 lost his career in a way you know what i mean like he, yeah this it, is his second chance so and it's going yeah. well like you'd say well he wouldn't want to throw that away but like for a win at home yeah, in that in no that problem. place i would easy what a way to go out yeah <laughs> um and then to kirsten's earlier ta- uh, thoughts about haas I, so i i think the haas like 
scuttling or scuppering or scuttling. What do you call it when you when you crash a boat? Yeah, scuttling. Scu- scuttling, yeah, scuttling their 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 year this year. I think the extent of it has is like impossible to disconnect with what's happening next year with the cars. Like this was a very you know, Haas is a team where it's a private owner and they don't they're not swimming in money. It's why they have the drivers they have. It's why they have the, the personnel they have. It's why they have the car they have. And I think for Gene Haas, it has been a money sink for a long period of time. And the only sort of chance that he has is in the mix up that will happen next year and them having a decent car. And I do, it does sound like a lot of this year was taking money from column A and putting it in column B and just investing in next year, investing time and thought and money into that. And, uh, you know, it's not great to see, but they could have spent a lot more money and just ended up swimming around in ninth instead of 10th. I don't think, you know, the rest of the mid pack has got, is so far ahead of them this year that I, you know, I don't think many people are saying, oh, Haas should have really given it a go this year. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, that's yeah. not really a thing. I, I do think there's there is something to the notion that um like the issue with tanking is that you lose a lot of the good procedures that help you succeed when your opportunities do arrive, right? Like mm. that uh like the Sixers example is like it took them a little bit of time to spin up a good team, even after they got some good players uh from banking all those picks. Because once you set up a program to just lose by design right um when it comes time to win you don't have like the ingrained habits and procedures to know like what the muscle memory looks like. yeah right um so i think it is it is risky um i think for me the the biggest risk is the assumption this is going to work right like there's the huge gamble here is that and i like i think i i agree they had no choice but to try and take this gamble because this current like this current technical setup they were behind and getting worse year by year. Yeah. They could not address the fundamental issues like baked into that car concept. Uh, so they had to do it, but like they're still just Haas. And like the now the word on Gunther is that like he actually is for as weird a guy he is, he's run good programs in the past and he could pull this out. It's a big if. Yeah. Uh, one of the many ifs that is that's coming up uh uh, next year um i'll close it out one email here uh from carol who sent one in we had a lot of people talking about their experience at kota but i thought i would uh, read this one out uh this one from carol my husband and i love your podcast and anxiously wait its arrival uh after uh, week after week i appreciate how the three of you offer unique insight into and as you dissect and reflect on the remarkable and addictive sport thank you so much carol uh we are en route home after a thrilling albeit overwhelming weekend at kota and i wanted to briefly talk about our experiences in the hope that it may inform you guys or other listeners who plan on attending the usgp in the future we had an absolute blast over the race weekend and will not trade it for the world we were however vastly underprepared for the dizzying concentration of people who attend the race festivities Moral of the story, the F1 secret is out. The F1 secret is out here in the US. We had general admission tickets and we loved the flexibility of walking to various uh, vantage points for qualifying in the race, but navigating the hot commodity turns, turn one and the chicane, uh, was borderline unsafe at times. Total gridlock, literally at zero personal space or wiggle room to exit at certain moments. While this did not rain in our parade, we found ourselves physically and mentally exhausted after both qualifying and the race because navigating the crowds was like Black Friday shopping at Walmart walmart on steroids in closing here are a few hard lessons learned from the weekend one if insanely huge crowds are truly not your thing you may be better off at a gp elsewhere in the world or watching from your home two if you want a guaranteed view of the track it might be worth extra money for assigned seating three decide ahead of time what you want to see most my hubby and i booked it to the shuttle buses immediately oh sorry booked it uh, to the shuttle buses immediately after the race concluded because the shuttle lines the day before had had a three-hour wait qualifying and the actual race meant uh, the most to us being stranded at coda for three to four extra hours to watch a 10-minute podium was not uh, lastly seeing these wildly gifted drivers drive the automotive masterpieces that are f1 cars was worth every last second of insanity in the baking hot texas sun there's nothing like this sport and there's nothing like seeing it in person. Your supporter in the Shift F1 family, Carol. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I given the year and a half, 
coming up on two years, right, man, that we've we've had with no fans and people stuck at home. It was nice reading emails like that for the past few days. But yeah, no, I, I think it's um it's been fantastic seeing people get to go to races again. And it seems like it's meant a lot to drivers as well. Yeah. Uh, to to sort of have F one uh returning to a form of normal. Uh so yeah, I think it's it's one of those situations where yeah, not only has the sport blown up a little bit, but I think people appreciate maybe the uh, fun of the live event more than they did before. Yeah, and uh, there'll be lots of them at the Mexican Grand Prix coming up this weekend. Uh, before we check in on that, let's race around the world. Hey, 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 hey. Yeah, I have a friend staying in the room next to us. She's probably a little bit freaked out about what just happened. But onward we go. That is the Shift F1 experience. On the 5th of November, WC is in Bahrain, the Bahrain International Circuit, MotoGP, who I did forget last week. Apologies. Thank you for everyone for reminding me, especially given what happened at the last race. Um, MotoGP is at the uh, Algarve International Circuit, uh, one of our favorites, Portimao. Sadly, we'll not be coming back for F1, but if you miss it, you can always watch some MotoGP. If MotoGP isn't super enough for you, Super GT is at Twin Ring Motegi, and I have, of course, forgotten to look up the prefecture. To my shame, I have not done it. It is in Haga District, Tochigi Prefecture. A solid one. Uh, supercars are in Indy also this uh, Sunday um, at Sydney Motorsport, uh, Motorsport Park. NASCAR and trucks are at uh, uh, IMSA Raceway. Is that Phoenix? ISM Raceway, rather, I should say. In, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. I don't know where he finds all the names for the the races. It just said it was the Cup Championship, so I don't know. Maybe it's just what they're, what they're calling it this time. But uh, we're rounding out the season over there, too. But, of course, F1 is in Mexico, Mexico City. Circuit Hermanos Rodriguez. All weekend, bouncing around those ESPNs. I'm trying to figure out what time these races, what time this is, uh, this is telling me. I think this is West Coast times. I go, I'll, t- I'll just do the F1 calendar. I'll do a double check on Google to make sure it says 11 a.m. local time. And it says 1 a.m. there. So was, oh, are we stuck in a GMT loop? Has GM ha, or a, a, a daylight savings? Has that happened on the East Coast yet? Oh, um, okay. Is that? It's we might it's be in one of those soon. situations. So I think these are East Coast times for Sunday, which, what time is it there now? 12? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. It says it's, it's going to be a two-hour yeah. difference. So, so I would, I would just check because <laughs> I think, <laughs> I, yeah, I think, I think this Sunday is it is when it, it kicks over here. So, so this is this is GMT, or yeah. So I think I, I think I've, I I have East Coast time. That should on be this three here. p.m. Eastern. You think so? Yes, it's five hours. Okay. Uh, between us and London. Okay, so it should be three p.m. Eastern. And then noon Pacific. So this must be, yeah, but it says one p.m. Pacific. So I'm does does I'm very confused. Oh no 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 does, no no no! Because no, that was you. You were just looking at qualifying, weren't you? No, this one here. Checkered flag. Oh no, it's checkered flag. Oh no, the race starts ten a.m. Okay, it's confusing, man. Well, this is, the, is this is the. It says it's going to start at eleven a.m. West Coast time. This the race will. All right. So why it's saying it's 10 a.m. here, unless I'm on Mountain Time on the ESPN website. I have no idea. <laughs> Let's just say practice is going to be on ESPN3. <laughs> practice on Saturday. Race <laughs> Sunday. Race Sunday. ESPN Deportes and ESPN3 for the race. Uh, yeah, I've, these times look fucking insane to me. I don't know what. I've just just con- consult your local listings, especially if... Uh, if um, Daylight savings is kicking in this weekend. It's just gonna. It's called. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be responsible for you missing the race. There we go. Yeah. Everyone's gonna be so. Don't happy even bother sending us those week. letters because we'll be yeah. like, you got to do your own research. Exactly. D Y O R. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to follow us on the social media, as we are at Shift F1 Podcast. I'm at Daniel Dwyer. He's Rob Z- at Rob Zachney. Drew is at Drew Scanlon. Check him out. He'll be back next week, and this podcast will be a lot more better organized than it was when I was in charge. Uh, Rob did a great job in the news, though. Thank you, Rob. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, but I, I am realizing there's still a lot left to be done when Drew isn't around. So much, much as lot. you did, it's like, mm, 
no, there's a lot left. Yeah, I gotta publish this thing now. It's all he just he does he does a lot of work. Uh, if you would like to support Drew, and I guess by extension us, actually, yeah, that makes it sound like Drew is just taking all the Patreon money for himself or something, which is not the case. If you would like to support this show, get access to bonus episodes, official Discord, and more, head over to Patreon.com/shiftf1. Thank you so much. The season's not over yet. We are going to a bunch of cool places, many of which we did not get to go to next year. So enjoy Mexico. Enjoy Interlagos. Let's see if Jedi gets finished. <laughs> we don't know yet. Uh, but in any case, enjoy the race weekend. We will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.